Hey, we're back. This is Joe and TJ from the Schoolhouse 302, and you're listening to our Focus Ed podcast. Focus Ed is your educational leadership podcast. In every episode, it's our mission to focus on one aspect of teaching and leading in school so that you can make progress in your district, school, or classroom with even more knowledge, better understanding, and a clear direction on what to do next for your students and staff. In each show, we ask an expert guest to join us and we dissect their work and tons of other information about leading better and growing faster in schools. We're only doing 14 episodes per school year and we hope you'll listen to all 14. The guest list is incredible. Don't miss a single show and do us a favor. Please like, share, and follow Focus Ed on SoundCloud, iTunes, and our website, theschoolhouse302.com. And now for another episode of Focus Ed. Welcome back. This is Joe and TJ, and you're listening to Focus Ed. Focused is your educational leadership podcast where our mission is to dissect a particular problem of practice and pinpoint a place of progress so that you can learn to lead better and grow faster in your school or district with more knowledge, better understanding, and a clear direction on what to do next. Each episode on Focus Ed, we invite expert guests to join us, and we are thrilled for this episode to have Dan Dominich with us with a focus on how all of the components of an educational system can work together to support student learning. TJ, why don't you tell our audience a little more about Dan? Thanks, Joe. Daniel Dominich is the AASA Executive Director he has served as executive director for the School Superintendents Association since 2008. Dominich has more than 45 years of experience in public education. For 27 of those years, he served as a school superintendent. Prior to joining AASA, Dominich served as senior vice president of national urban markets with McGraw-Hill Education. In this role, he was responsible for building strong relationships with large school districts nationwide. Before he took that position at McGraw-Hill, Dominic served for seven years as a superintendent of the Fairfax County, Virginia Public Schools, the 12th largest school system in the nation with 168,000 students. Dominic began his teaching career in New York City, where he taught sixth grade in a predominantly Black and Hispanic community in South Jamaica, Queens. He then became director of the Nassau Board of Cooperative Educational Services, which is the largest intermediate school district in the state of New York. Following this, he was the first named superintendent of schools for the Long Island's Deer Park schools, and then became superintendent of schools for the ethnically diverse South Huntington School District, also on Long Island, a position he held for 13 years. From 1994 to 1997, he was district superintendent of the second supervisory district of Suffolk County and chief executive officer of the Western Suffolk Board of Cooperative Educational Services. Dominic, an AASA member since 1979, served as president of AASA from July 1998 to June 1999. He is also a past president of the New York State Council of School Superintendents 
the Suffolk County Superintendents Association, and the Suffolk County Organization for Promotion of Education. He was the first president and co-founder of the New York State Association for Bilingual Education. Get ready for this. In addition, Dominic has served on the U.S. Department of Education's National Assessment Governing Board, the Advisory Board for the Department of Defense Schools, the Board of Directors of the Association for Advancement of International Education, the Board of Overseers for the Baldridge Award, and the Board of the Institute of Educational Leadership, National Board for Professional Teaching Standards, C Research Foundation, and Education Policy Institute. Currently, he serves on the boards of the Learning First Alliance, National Student Clearinghouse, Center for Naval Analysis, Horace Mann Educators Cooperation, ACT, USAC, and board chair for the Communities in Schools of Virginia. He earned a Bachelor's of Arts degree from Hunter College in New York City and a PhD from Hofstra University in Uniondale, New York. That is an impressive biography, Dan. We really are happy to have you here joining us today on Focus Ed. We want to jump right in. What we know is that schools and districts are complex with a lot of moving parts that need to work together well in order to be effective for students. How can school leaders create a, a work environment that maximizes all of the support systems for students? Your experience and background will help us to dive deep into this issue today. That's a, a critical point, uh, TJ, and a very important point for any superintendent uh, that wants to succeed in what they do. And, and the bottom line is understanding that when you are dealing with uh, such a diverse community as a school system where you have students, you have staff, you have parents, you have community people that have no role in the, in, in the school, you have the business community, there's so many factors involved. And, and you basically have to pay attention to all of them. And the best way to do that is through a process of engagement, through a process of making sure that all of the stakeholders in the community are involved in part and process of what you're doing. And that's a, that's a difficult task, but it's not an impossible task. My 27 years as a superintendent, particularly in a district like Fairfax County, which, you know, very, large school system. Uh, I mean, Fairfax County uh, as, a, as a school system is larger than half of the states in the country. We could be a state. We're the same size as Hawaii. <laughs> you know, so you can imagine a system where I had a $3.4 billion budget, 27,000 employees, and today it's up to 190,000. It's a, it's a very diverse operation, but I made it my business to spend the time every sector of the community to make sure that I, I met regularly with the business community, with the parents, with the staff. I, I actually organized with over 240 schools. I asked every school to identify a staff person that would represent that school. And I would have monthly meetings with these representatives from, from every school district where I would share directions that we intended to take, where, where I would listen to the complaints and their comments. And so that earned me the visibility alone of putting myself out there and making myself available to all of these groups allowed me to, to get in advance where there would be issues, allowed me then to, to try to work with those groups, to make them allies as opposed to people who would be against what we try to do. And it worked incredibly well. 
Uh, and the result of that is that in my 27 years as a superintendent in four different school systems, three of them in New York, before I came to Virginia to Fairfax, allowed me to accomplish and achieve things that every superintendent should want to accomplish and achieve. But you can't do it sitting in your office and you know, taking phone calls and, and doing your mail. You're in your office after the school day is over. You're in the schools during the school day. And you're out at night uh, meeting with all of these organizations. I is it time consuming? <laughs> Absolutely. You're talking about 14 hour days easily. And then on weekends, of course, you had all the sporting events that so you have to be there. So the job of the superintendent is not an easy job. It's time consuming, it's difficult. And I don't even wanna talk about what's going on nowadays. Uh, those of you that are in those positions today, God bless you. I miss that <laughs> and I'm not sorry that I did but I do work on a daily basis. As a matter of fact, just before joining you, I had a group of 15 superintendents and it was basically a therapy session. We were working with them to relieve the stress and the pressure that they're feeling on the job by allowing them to, to share their experiences and the problems that they're having and, and, and feeling better about that, recognizing that they're not the only ones doing and feeling the stress that they're feeling that it's a large group right now. But the superintendency is a tough job. Leading a, a school district is a tough job, but if you do it right, if you devote the time, the energy, and, and the commitment to get all of the parts working together, it's a beautiful thing. Dan, if you wouldn't mind, could you talk a little bit about putting the right people in place to make sure that you're getting the correct information, you're focused on the right you know, things, and that's all being done in a systems way, because there's a lot of people on this call, and I think we have a ton of information coming at us, and what you just described with Fairfax and, and some of your other experiences, you have to be so inundated. So even learning how to manage that information, putting people in place that really help guide you I would imagine is beyond critical. Can you speak to that a little bit, the importance of having the right people in place that Absolutely. help you manage and make those decisions? Absolutely. It's, it's critical that you have the team in place that can support you in the work that you're doing because you, you can't do everything. So you, you have to delegate and you have to delegate to the people that you trust to allow them to, to do their thing uh, that will in turn allow you to do yours. But it's also a process, particularly when you come into the job. You know, the first thing I did when I came into a job, not, not to say to all the people that were there, all right, pack your bags, you're going, because I'm going to bring my own people. No, no. Uh, the first thing I did is to, to stick with the people that were there and to assess them, to see that if they were the right fit, not necessarily that they weren't competent to the job, but that they were the right fit with me. You know, were, were we able to communicate with each other and that we understand with each other and that we have the, the trust with each other that would allow them to do their job and me to do mine by delegating authority. What I always told my cabinets, including today at uh, the job I currently have, is I'm, I'm not going to uh, micromanage what you do, but understand that I hold back the ability to stick my nose into your business anytime I want and to stick my nose into my business and reverse a decision that you may have made. So understand that. Let's be clear on that. I'm going to do that. And when I do that, don't feel bad. But most of the times I'm going to leave you alone and I'm going to let you do your own thing. But if I have to, I will. 
And that's worked very well. And uh, my folks, you know, they get to know my style and they get to know what I want. And they make sure that they don't do anything that forces me to stick my nose into their business. And then there are times when it doesn't work. And when it doesn't work, we just have to part ways and say, you know, this is not working for me and it's not working for you. So, you know, it, it's, it's been a pleasure, but you have to go and I have to bring somebody else on board. That's the other thing that we can't be afraid to do. If somebody doesn't fit as part of the team, then so be it. But at the same time, I have to tell you that uh, I'm sure all of you are in the same position. I don't look for everybody to be like me. I don't want people like me. I have me. <laughs> I want people different from me. You know, I want people that have different styles and different approaches to, to get the job done. I don't want everybody just sitting in the room and agreeing, you know, to do what I want to do. No, if, if you have a different idea, say it, speak up, convince me. And, and that gives them the comfort of knowing that they don't always have, they don't have to be yes people. Uh, they can disagree and they can express. And when they do that, I say, you know what? That's a great idea. I hadn't really thought about that. That's pretty good. I like that. Let's go in that direction. But you have to have, that, you have, to have a team that you're comfortable with, that you trust to do the work and you leave them alone. And they understand though, that you know, you're watching over their shoulder. And at some point you might step in and say, hey, I don't want that. You did the wrong thing. So that's, that's uh, but that's also the part of mentoring. I've always seen myself in a position that the, the people that report to me, I want to be their mentor. I want to work with them to help them grow. If they make mistakes, I want to point them out. I want to tell them this is a different way of doing it. Uh, that would allow you to succeed. And they appreciate that and they grow. And then also, you know, the time comes when they go, Dan, I love working for you, but I want to be a superintendent too. And when that happens, I go, hey, that's wonderful. I'll give you the best reference I can give. I'll talk to whoever it is because I want you to get that job. And I can tell you that in, in my years in this business, I've lost track of the number of, of superintendents that worked for me at some point. As a matter of fact, the worst thing is that I'm old enough that I have now superintendents that come to me and they, they didn't work for me. They were students of mine when I was a teacher. <laughs> Well, it's a great sign of a leader that you are developing other leaders, right? So that's maybe the most critical sign of leadership. And I do like what you said there. It's a great lesson for the folks on the call and any listeners that there isn't one style, right? You want to stand back and empower, but you also reserve the right as the boss to step in where, where need be. I think people sometimes confuse that that's not a continuum, that it's always one way or the other. And so empowerment first, but it's got to go right. And it's going to fall back on me. So I'm going to help you where I need to. So thank you for, for mentioning that. I want to go back to one thing that you said before, I think is critical, especially now with so much changing. You talked about getting out in front of the resistance, getting out in front of the problems. When you want to change something in a system with all the moving parts that we're talking about, and you see points of resistance. Can you get granular on like strategies you would use with folks who just don't want to make that change? I think we're feeling that and seeing that all over the country as we work towards everything from equity practices to new strategies to virtual learning. And sometimes it's hard to push that through. It is. It's very hard. And, and today, that's one of the main points of the stress that the uh, superintendents are feeling, you know, you're, 
your superintendent in the district where half the parents want the kids in school and half the parents don't want the kids in school, where half of the staff doesn't want to go in to teach and the other half does, uh, where you have a board of education that uh, is, uh, has a political bent and they want to open up the school come hell or high water, even though it's not in the best interest of the community. So there, it's a tough, tough environment. But basically, the, you know, the, the approach uh, to, to situations like the ones that we have now is that you can lead with authority or you can lead with influence. There are times when leading with authority is fine, you know, when it's clear cut and a decision has to be made and it has to be made quickly and you make it, fine. But there are other times when you're better off influencing uh, people in terms of convincing them that that is particularly the, the right decision to make. And you do that by engaging them and listening to them and understanding that whatever your plan was, if you want the kind, that kind of support to make sure that something happens, that you have to compromise and you can't always have it your way. And you may have to change the things that you're doing to get enough support that will allow what you want to do to, to happen. So in this environment, for example, if you're under pressure as a superintendent to bring the kids to school in person, you know, but, but you recognize that there are parents that don't want to do that, well, then you create the option that says, but you know what, if you're a parent and you want your child to stay home because you're afraid to send them to school, that's okay. You know, and, and we'll provide online instruction. There are school districts around the country right now that even after the pandemic is over, they have a substantial population of, of parents that are saying, you know what, my kids love being home and, and learning from home. Why? Because they're independent learners. Why? Because they, they can move at their own pace. They're not being held back and they love it. So districts are saying, you know what, we're going to offer online instruction on a permanent basis for parents that want it. And that's okay. Okay. So now you've gotten rid of a, a segment. If they want the, the child in school because they're working parents and that's important to them, then you figure out, you know, ways, ways to do that. And there are districts that have been very creative in terms of do that and working with other community agencies, you know, that, that can provide the space, that can provide instruction. You can outsource, you know, that, that process. So there, the idea is you can't be so married to your solution even though you're gonna get killed <laughs> if you try to implement it, that you're not willing to compromise and look for ways that you can achieve part of what you want done, but do it with you know, support from the community rather than putting yourself in a situation uh, where you're gonna find yourself out of a job eventually because you have so much opposition to what you're proposing. Thank you so much for that, Dan. Let's switch gears a little bit if you were to change the student experience in our schools, you know, what would you like to see done? And we like to ask this question now because of COVID, because of what you just described, not only the challenges, but the diversity that we're seeing in, in our ability to deliver instruction for students. But if you would change that, what would you see done? And we know that's a very complex question without a simple response. But if there's something you could highlight, what would that be? Well, we, we just, uh, I'm glad you asked that question because I just uh, assembled a commission at ASA of 30 individuals, 10 of them superintendents, 10 of them CEOs in the private sector, and 10 of them foundation heads. Their idea was to totally redesign our educational system as we know it. That's something that I have been a proponent for for a long time. 
I can tell you that in my 27 years of, uh, as a superintendent, I implemented personalized learning, year-round schooling, non-graded instruction. Because think about it, uh, here we are in the 21st century, it's two, 2021, and we still group kids by age. We have grade levels that are based on all the kids at that grade being a certain age. That's not how kids learn. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter how old you are. We should be grouping kids based on their ability, not how old they are. The, the pandemic and all of the online instruction you know, blew away this concept that you have to be in school in order to learn. In today's world with the technology that is, exists, learning can take place anywhere. Yeah, uh, it, it was not an easy thing to do when districts had to uh, uh, flip to online instruction overnight, primarily because nobody was trained to do that. Uh, school districts were not geared to do online instruction. They were geared to do in-person learning. But the reality is that today, a lot of districts have done it very well and intend to continue to do that. Uh, when we, we hear uh, the notion of how to deal with the learning loss and we prefer to refer to it as accelerated learning as opposed to learning loss. But when you talk about accelerated learning, the way to do that is through the technology to take advantage of the time when kids are not in person in school to help them catch up after school hours on weekends. I just did an interview the other day on, on snow days and uh, you know, what's the future of snow days? Snow days are done. With all the online instruction that has happened, there's no reason for a school district to shut down due to inclement weather day. It's a day of online instruction and, and you know, life continues. And of course, kids aren't happy and staff isn't happy because they love those snow days, even though they don't realize that they're not really getting a day off because it's going to be made up somewhere down the line. But there are a lot of changes. This is a great opportunity to, to get rid of seat time requirements to get rid of the school calendar as we know it, to get rid of even things like the Carnegie unit at the high school level, where we've com compartmentalized knowledge as if reading and math and science and history and all of these subjects that we teach are so separate and apart from each other rather than being together. So there's a lot of changes that can happen. A big one that we're focusing on right now too is the, the, the goal of most educational systems, which is to graduate their kids and have them go to college and graduate. Well, the sad reality is that less than 40% of our population wind up with a college degree, less than 40%. So what happens to the other 60%? What are we doing to the majority of our children uh, who don't go on to a four-year college. So creating pathways for kids to say, hey, look, if you want to go to college, we're here for you and we'll do everything we can to help you realize that dream. But if you don't, it's okay to pursue a, a different career. You know, we need to uh, honor the plumber as we do the PhD. We've got this thing that if you don't have a degree and you're not a professional, you're not worth anything. And that's not true. And we have to change uh, our culture in education to say, we're here for the kids and we're here to prepare you and allow you to be a decision-making in your future. What do you want to do? What do you aspire for? And, and it's okay if that's what you wanna do. Go to a community college and, and, and be certified in a particular area. Youth apprenticeship programs. You know, we hear from the private sector that thousands of jobs that can't be filled because we don't have the, the skilled uh, labor force to do it. 
great jobs, great paying jobs that kids, you know, with a four-year degree and, and graduate, they can't get a job. <laughs> and then they wind up with these huge student loans that they have to pay out. So there are major changes that need to be made to our educational system. This is an opportunity. What we have gone through is a great opportunity to begin to make those changes. Well, Dan, I, you are speaking our language. I mean, Joe, being in a career in technical education school district and in Delaware, we're building pathways to get students in, into the economy and, and even partnerships with colleges and universities so they can earn credit in high school. So you're speaking our language, and I hope that we do get some major changes out of this disruption that we've lived through. We've lived through a lot, so hopefully we can capitalize on what we've learned. In, in terms of learning, though, you've grown through your career. You've been involved in so many boards, so many initiatives, so many years as superintendent. I love that you talked about non-graded learning, year-round schooling, a number of very progressive things in your time. How do you, what do you see as your mechanism for growth? Is there somebody outside of education that you lean on? Are there resources that you would say, go here, listen to this, read, read this? How do you continue to fuel your own growth? Well, I, I had the opportunity to get to work with and meet with some very bright, intelligent people, much smarter than I am. And, and I avail myself of those opportunities to, to spend time with them. People like Linda Darling Hammond, uh, you know, we're, we're very good friends. I learn a lot from Linda. I have people, uh, superintendents that uh, work for me now who are, are brilliant in terms of their thinking, uh, in terms of the books that they have written, in terms of their knowledge. So I'm always seeking to learn. I've been around a long time, that's for sure. But uh, I, I always feel that there's much more to learn than what I have learned. So I, I seek those opportunities. I enjoy. Uh, being in the presence of, of, of people that I can learn from. And, and, and I consciously look for those opportunities and build them into my professional development. Um, you know, nowadays, what's happened with the, the virtual life that we lead is the opportunity to per participate in so many webinars and TED Talks and what have you, which, which are great. You know, online learning continues for me in this environment. It's very powerful, Dan, and just you being here today is a testament to your commitment to education. This is one way that Delaware Department of Education supports our learning and growth, which we're very grateful for as well. Not too many states support this type of work and introduce us to people. And I don't want to lose that point. Surround yourself with great people. And like you just described, now that we're in this era of technology, reaching out to people is so easy and people are very gracious with their time because there's no travel. You cut down, it's 30 minutes. So it's, it's not a thought that's it's lost. Dan, you've made a tremendous impact on many, many people. I, TJ and I both through different associations, affiliations, your name comes up which is what led us to invite you here today for you to feel like you've made, you know, a tremendous impact, you know, and this is kind of one of those questions that is tough to ask because you had such a long career and so influential, but what does the next couple of years look like for you that, you know, you've made a sound impact on education that is sustained. 
Well, for me, Joe, I am well beyond retirement age, well beyond, yet I continue to work. And I continue to work because I love what I do. And I continue to work because I, I, I'm in a position by virtue of, of all these experiences that I've had and all these jobs that I've held and all these things that I've accomplished, I, I'm in a position that I can be an influencer. I talked before about leading with authority and leading with influence. Well, I have little authority now other than over the people that work for me, but I can sure influence the hell out of a lot of the things that we're trying to do. So, you know, I meet regularly with our new secretary of education. So I have an opportunity to influence at that level. I meet with our elected officials on a regular basis. So I have an opportunity to influence laws. I meet with boards of education, all of our sister organizations, the National School Board Association, the two principal groups, the two teacher units. I'm very good friends with Randy Weingarten and Becky Pringle from NEAAFT. So I find myself in a position where I, I can influence what happens. And I don't want to turn my back on that. I don't care how old I am. As long as I can continue to, 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 to be well and healthy and, and have opportunity to do that, I want to continue to do that. So retirement, my wife has given up on trying to get me to, to retire. Uh, she, she knows me too well. <laughs> Well, Dan, you certainly have had a storied career, and we really do appreciate you joining us today. Is there anything else that you would like to add for our live audience or our listening guests? Uh, only that, you know, my experience has been, as I, I shared with you, uh, something that can be your experience as well, no matter where you are, what role you have. It's an opportunity to influence. If you're a teacher, you know, people will come up to you. you. I'm sure you love the fact that uh, an individual comes up to you and, and, and says, hey, Anne, you were my teacher one time. And thanks to you, you know, look at where I am today. You know, so that is a, a great reward. And that happens when doing whatever it is that you're doing, you have the opportunity to influence the lives of individuals. And the reward will be when those people come back to you at some point in time and say, my God, because of you, I am where I am today. So that's a, that's a great thing. And you'll all experience it, I'm sure, if you haven't yet. 100%. Adding value to the world. That's why we get into this pro profession. Fantastic interview. You heard it here on Focus Ed. Dan Dominich, everyone. A virtual round of applause from our live audience. If you don't mind, this was great. Don't forget to follow the schoolhouse302.com for podcasts, blog posts, books to read, and much more. We'll be back soon with another episode of Folks Said. Until then, stay focused. And now a word from our sponsors. Hey, Joe, you know what leaders need these days? What's that, TJ? Sleep. A good night's rest. Self-care. We've heard it over and over and over again from our guests on the podcast that you can't pour from an empty cup. Leaders need sleep. One of the number one ways you can replenish yourself and lead better is a good night's sleep. I hear you, but you know what? I'm so tired. I don't even like thinking about, you know, getting a good night's sleep. But, you know, do tell, how do we go about getting better sleep? Well, I think that's part of your problem is you need a better bed. It always starts with the bed. That's why we recommend Ghostbed, our sponsor with 30,000 plus five-star reviews, their patented sleep and cooling technology gets you to sleep faster and longer than any other bed. That's right. 
and their handcrafted mattresses come with a hundred and one night at home sleep trial and a two times the industry standard warranty. They're absolutely certain that their beds will work for you. And with free shipping within 24 hours of your purchase, it's fantastic support from the company. And guess what? Just for being a listener at the Schoolhouse 302, you get 30% off with the use of our code SH302 at checkout. You go to ghostbed.com. You get some sleep so that you can lead better and grow faster. You use SH302 at checkout. Absolutely. And last thing, even if you don't need a bed, you're thinking, wow, I would love to try out Ghost Bed, but I just bought a bed. Refer someone else for a bed at ghostbed.com. You'll get a hundred bucks for helping someone else get a good night's rest. Wow. That's 30% off with SH302 code at ghostbed.com. A hundred bucks for your referral. If you get somebody else a good night's sleep, better sleep for you, better leadership, ghostbed.com. You can't beat it. Ghostbed.com.